Okay, how many of y'all know what uh, this picture is? Anybody know what that is? That's right, it's an African impala. It's in the antelope family, so that counts, all right? It's a beautiful animal, isn't it? Um, the problem is, is it's on the menu of a lot of predators in the savannah. And so to avoid being someone's next meal, they have tremendous speed and agility. They can run up to 40 miles per hour. They can turn on a dime. And probably most impressively, they can jump, I think I have a picture of this, up to 10 feet in the air. Okay? So these animals are not very big. They're about three feet tall. And they can jump 10 feet into the air. It's incredible, isn't it? How many of you have actually seen an impala in a zoo? Some of you? Okay. If you have, you might notice that those impalas are usually kept behind a three-foot wall, even though they can jump 10 feet into the air. That's because an impala will not jump where they cannot see where their feet will land. They will not jump where they cannot see where their feet will land. So they're, in a sense, trapped behind a barrier because of the fear of the unknown. I share that with you because I think we often are a lot like the Impala, aren't we? Unwilling to take a step of faith because we're inhibited by fear, trapped behind a barrier, if you will, of unbelief. Unwilling to risk because we're, relinqu- we're reluctant to relinquish control. We, we don't want to step where we cannot see. But in order to truly enjoy the freedom that God intends and ultimately created us for, we must learn to live by faith, trusting in God for things that we cannot see, believing beyond the limits of our own understanding, and and ultimately releasing control and trusting in God's faithful provision, which sounds easy enough, right? But, but what exactly does that look like? Well, thankfully, this morning, the author of Hebrews is going to help answer that question. He will give us real-life examples of people who have learned to live by faith, trusting in God for things they could not see. And within their story, I want you to hear this, because within their story is an invitation, an encouragement to follow Their example of faith, setting aside fear and believing beyond the limits of our own understanding, learning to walk by faith and not by sight. Before we look at the passage together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your kindness and your compassion in knowing that sometimes it's important to not just hear a truth, but actually to see a truth. So thanks for these examples that we will begin to look at this morning that show us what it looks like. Father, that as we truly live by faith and not by sight, and I pray, Father, that as we do look at these examples that we see and we hear and we feel the invitation to follow their example, to trust you beyond the limits of our own understanding, to believe in places that we may not be able to see, but we know that you're good and you're faithful and you will provide. So, Father, 
May we see that clearly as we look at your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, read with me, if you will, beginning in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of, own, uh, of old gained approval. Now, I'm going to pause there because that's a pretty popular passage, isn't it? Uh, probably many of you have memorized that verse, and that's a great thing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But I think it's also important to keep that passage in the context of what we've been learning in Hebrews. Because remember, this is written as an encouragement to those who are enduring some difficult situations. These are Christians in the midst of persecution. Every day, for many of them, their lives are at risk. So as we might expect and even understand, they were often filled with discouragement and doubt, especially when they could look around and some of their own family and friends were abandoning their faith. Up to this point, the author has been talking about what it means to have an enduring faith, a faith that, that doesn't give up, that, that presses on even in the midst of difficulty. And here he describes it as a hope-filled conviction of things not seen, which tells us that this is more than a, just a sentimental feeling, something that you can stir up emotionally because that wouldn't work. This is more than the power of positive thinking because that wouldn't work. This was an assurance that's built not on something that we conjecture on our own. It's, it's built on the assurance of God's character. An unwavering belief, as we heard from Tim this morning, this is exactly what he said, that God will do what he says he will do. That he is faithful to provide. Fulfilling his promises in accordance with his plan. But we all know from our life of experience that sometimes, God's plan is not real clear to us, is it? Sometimes we can't see exactly what he has in mind. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the conviction of things not seen, the, the certainty that God is in control even when it may not be observable to our eyes. In some ways, when I thought about this, it reminded me of the trust fall. You know, everybody familiar with the trust fall? Somebody stands up, there's a group behind them, and they fall back and trust that that group is going to catch them. But every time I've seen this, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, the person who's the one falling is always looking behind them, one, to make sure people are there, right? And then they'll always say something to the effect of, are you ready? Okay, now? And so there's lots of assurance that this is going to work out like it's supposed to, right? Faith is different. Faith is falling into the arms of someone you can't see. It's entrusting yourself to something that may not be visible, believing in a promise, even though it may be something you don't fully and completely understand. Because notice how the author describes the reality of this faith. He says that if this faith is tied to something. It's, it's tied to the assurance of an enduring hope. Okay? When I 
when I read that, what immediately came to mind to me was somebody who's repelling. I love to do repelling and rock climbing. And I know that as long as that rope that I'm repelling on, as long as it's tied to a secure anchor, no matter how precarious it might be, I'm safe. Now, if that anchor is unstable, I'm in trouble. But if that anchor is secure, then I am safe. That's what he's trying to help us understand here. He says in verse 2, that's how the men of old gained approval from God. Which, by the way, is not saying that somehow they earned God's favor. God's approval, in this sense, was a a validation of their faith. Kind of like when you go to the grocery store and you buy organic vegetables. That, That label that says organic doesn't make them organic. It just validates that they have been organically grown. Well, in this sense, God is giving his divine seal of approval, and he's saying these are valid examples of faith. But before we look at the examples, I want us to see how the author, a few verses later, helps us understand the qualities of what this faith is really about. So look, if you will, at verse 6 with me. Verse 6. It says here, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. And here he kind of gives a description of what faith is. He says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So when I read that verse, I see three essential ingredients to a genuine, enduring faith. The first is that you come to God. That you acknowledge that you need him for something that's beyond your own abilities. You come to God. That secondly, you believe that he exists. And this is more than just believing in some abstract God, this power that's out there. This is believing something about him. This is trusting in a character of God. So you come to him because you need him. You believe in him because you know something about him. And then finally, you trust him for a provision that he promises. You take him at his word. We need to be able to see that that these are the deep and abiding qualities of any enduring faith, no matter what example we may see. Genuine faith acknowledges our need for God. It believes in the character of God. It trusts in the provision of God. And if you'll notice, you're going to see this being repeated over and over again in the examples that we'll look at this morning. So with that being said, look at verse 3. It begins, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So this first testimony is really not a person, but it is a testimony that every person has seen. We know that because of what we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what He has made so that people are without excuse. In other words, all of creation speaks of its Creator. We see the undeniable order of God's intelligent design as God reveals his character through all that he has made, bringing things into being with with intrinsic value and purpose, that, that this wasn't an accident, that it was a true, miraculous work of God. 
Now, I understand that there are those, maybe some in this room this morning, who would apply the scientific method and say, yeah, I don't believe any of that's true. They would look at faith and say it's unfounded, it, it, it's naive, and they view the world instead through a lens of observation where their explanation is based on equations and calculations. And in many ways, I think they're maybe like the family of mice who lived inside of a piano, comforted by the sound of its music, but instead of looking outside of the instrument to see the, the source of that music, they climbed up to see what they could observe in the vibration of the strings. And one of the mice looked at the strings and saw them vibrating and said, oh, this must be the sound of that music. They continued on until another one discovered something different. And he saw the, the hammers beating on the strings. He says, oh, no, it wasn't the strings. It's the hammer that is the source of the music. And all the while, they were not looking beyond the instrument to see the player who was creating what comforted them every single day. Faith looks beyond the beauty of creation and sees the one who created the song that we all enjoy every day. Creating everything out of nothing according to his perfect plan. Faith is trusting in God's word, it says that he spoke the worlds into existence. Faith is believing that he exists and that he cares for all that he created. It's a, it's a testimony of the work of God. Look at how he continues in verse 4. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So like we talked about in an earlier passage, this is kind of like a witness stand. People are stepping forward to give testimonies of faith. The next one is Abel. He and his brother Cain were the offspring of our first parents, right? Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that Abel was a keeper of the flocks, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a rancher. Cain was a farmer. And no one profession was more honorable than the other. In fact, I'm convinced that Abel had to grow plants in order to feed his animals and his family. And I'm sure that Cain had animals to help till the ground and to feed his family. So the issue really wasn't how they provided for their needs. The issue was what they presented to God. Because, at least in my view, I'm not so sure that this was the first sacrifice that they'd ever made. It's just the first one recorded. And the reason I think this is because they were about 100 years old at this time. Plenty of time for a precedent and pattern of making an offering to God to be established. In fact, I'm not so sure that the first sacrifice didn't actually occur in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, 21 said God made garments out of skin, an animal, uh, to cover Adam and Eve, to clothe them. So what we learn here is all the way back in the garden, we see that an animal had to be sacrificed to cover the guilt and shame that was caused by the sin of Adam and Eve. And perhaps, perhaps that was the precedent of the pattern 
of an offering before the Lord. And Abel, recognizing his sin and his need for God covering the guilt and shame that he had incurred, now offers this sacrifice before the Lord as an atonement before God, trusting in God's merciful provision. What we do know in this passage is that his humble dependence upon the Lord was evidence of a righteous heart before God. And then there's Cain, who brought an offering of grain. And so, in that sense, he presented something that he had produced with his hands. In other words, his offering was literally a fruit of his labor. So instead of trusting in God's mercy, it's it's possible that Cain relied on his own works. We get a good sense that that's true because of how he responded to God's rejection. It revealed his pride. Instead of laying everything at the altar before a holy God, he expected something in return. And when he didn't get it, he killed his brother in anger. The writer tells us is that the sacrifice of Abel and the evidence of his faith still speaks to us today. Why? Why? Because he acknowledged his need for God. He believed in the character of God. He trusted in the provision of God. Just like we saw in verse 6, as the author describes what it means to have a genuine and enduring faith, Abel walked by faith, and his faith is an example to us. Look at how he continues with the next one in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he, obtaining the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now this one's interesting because Abel is somebody that we're all familiar with. We've all heard the story of Cain and Abel. But Enoch's a little more obscure, isn't it? In fact, there are only three verses in all of the Old Testament that say anything about Enoch. Let me read them to you. It's in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, and it says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. That's important. 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Although Enoch lived in a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Must be important. Repeated twice. Then he was no more because God took him away. So like the writer of Hebrews explains to us, this is telling us that Enoch never experienced physical death. He lived and then he was no more because God took him away. And there's a passage in the New Testament that kind of gives us a little more insight. It's interesting. Listen to um, Jude chapter 1 verse 14. It says, it was also about these men that Enoch In the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so clearly the earth was filled with what? Ungodliness. It was repeated four times to make sure we understood that. And yet, what did we learn back in the Old Testament? Enoch faithfully walked with God. 
He was a rare example of faith in a world that was filled with corruption. He even faithfully warned of God's impending judgment that was to come, believing in what God said, trusting in God's mercy, because he didn't have to give a warning. But he wants all to come to repentance so that no one perishes. And Enoch trusted in that because he walked with God and he was faithful to communicate that truth even though it was something he could not see. Just like Abel, Enoch's reliance on God's mercy was a testimony of his righteous heart. Again, he acknowledged his need for God. He believed in the character of God. He trusted in the provision of God. Enoch walked with God. And then he walked right into God's presence. Let's look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, that's important, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes, which is according to faith. So, so next is Noah. Again, someone we're a little more familiar with. But what we also know is that Noah lived during a time of great corruption, didn't he? Genesis 6-5 explains it and it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent, not some, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. And yet, like Enoch, the scripture tells us that in a world filled with corruption, Noah walked with God. And also like Enoch, he warned of God's impending judgment. Again, recognizing God's mercy by letting people know this is what was to come. So, so repent and believe so that you might be saved. But even as Moses extended this merciful warning, they mocked him every step of the way. He, he was mocked by the ones he was trying to save. Does that sound familiar? Is that not true of what Jesus did as well? He was mocked by those he was trying to save. We know that it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And during that time, he was ridiculed through the entire process. And yet, he believed in what he could not see. He believed that God was sovereign over all creation. He believed that sinful man deserved God's righteous judgment. He believed that God had a promise of salvation, and he put his faith in him. Like Enoch, like Abel, he humbly relied on God's mercy and grace. Our passage says that because of his faith that Noah became an heir of righteousness. That's an important phrase, isn't it? Because as an heir, there was nothing he could do to earn it. It was a gift given by God's mercy and grace. Noah acknowledged his need for God. He believed in the character of God. He trusted in the provision of God. Do you all see the pattern here? Every single one of these examples is following what the author describes as a true, genuine, enduring faith. But I think there's something a little more subtle and incredibly more important that's in these examples. Because here's why. I'm, I'm convinced that the Bible is one single redemptive story that always points to Jesus Christ. Always. 
And I believe we see that here in our passage this morning. I want, to see, I want you to see how that's true. Because, let's start at the beginning. The author begins with, with uh, creation, doesn't he? The beginning of all things when God's purpose was revealed. And we know that within his creation, humanity uniquely created in his image to live eternally in a life-giving relationship with God. That was his plan. It was a relationship built on faith, wasn't it? It was built on the assurance of God's character, the trust in God's promise. But then what happens? Satan comes along, and what was the key to his deception? He called God's character into question, didn't he? Oh, he surely didn't say that. Oh, he, would, he knows all the good things that would come if you did something different than what he said. He's calling God's character into question. And what we know is that Adam and Eve believed the deception of the enemy. And they took matters into their own hands and did what was right in their own eyes. Instead of believing in God's character... They relied on what they could see. If you'll remember that account in Genesis says that they could see that the apple was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that it could make people wise. So they relied on their wisdom of what they could see instead of trusting in the promise of what God had said. And it was their sin of unbelief that ultimately destroyed the life-giving relationship we were created for. That curse of sin has now spread to all mankind. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. But in God's mercy, he reveals a plan of redemption to restore what sin has destroyed. A plan that required a sacrifice to cover the guilt and shame of our sin. We saw that in Abel's offering, but we see it fulfilled in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross because through Jesus' blood, we have forgiveness of sin. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, demonstrating that he has the power to overcome death, that that final enemy was eliminated, which is why he could tell Martha when he spoke to her about Lazarus, he said, Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's why the Bible, when it talks about death of Christians, it says they sleep. So like Enoch, you take a nap and you wake up in the presence of God. That's how this works. Like Noah, we are rescued from the reality of God's righteous judgment. Why? Because we are heirs of righteousness. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So, so do you see how hidden within these examples of faith is the gospel? Creation. Fall. Redemption. Restoration. It's not an accident. It's the miracle of how God's word speaks into our lives. The author wants us to see and believe and follow their example of faith, acknowledging our need for God, recognizing that apart from Him, we can do nothing, believing in the character of God, that He is faithful to His promises, 
and trusting in the provision of God, knowing that salvation is by faith through Christ alone. I hope that as you see these verses, it encourages you for what you cannot see in life. Because like the Hebrew Christians, it's easy for us to experience doubt and discouragement, isn't it? We may even have family and friends who have abandoned their faith or ridicule yours. We certainly live, there's no doubt about this, we live in a world filled with corruption, don't we? We also have an enemy who wants to deceive and make us believe things about God that are simply not true. So we must do exactly what we see in our passage this morning. We must follow their example of faith, acknowledging our need for God, believing in the character of God, trusting in the provision of God. Walk by faith and not by sight giving us peace and security for whatever precarious situations we may find ourselves in at the moment. He who promised is faithful so we can relinquish our control and rely on his goodness, his sovereignty, his compassion. Don't get stuck behind the barrier of unbelief. Walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for examples. Men and women throughout Scripture, as we will see, who trusted in you beyond what they could observe with their own eyes, beyond the limits of their own understanding. And Lord, I just pray that what we have heard this morning would be an encouragement for us because I just have to believe that there are people who are here this morning who are in situations that don't make sense that they can't understand how this could possibly work out. I think of Meredith and the situation she was in, thinking, how in the world am I going to transfer all these clients to all the right people, and yet you made a way. How many other situations are there people who are in situations they don't understand how it's possible that they could ever see life differently than what it is right now? Lord, in this moment, in this very moment, may they look to you. May they trust in you. May they see beyond the limits of their own understanding and trust in a God who saves and is faithful to provide. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Tim, I love what you said this morning when you talked about how just make it simple. Believe that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate life and we're not... African impalas where we can jump 10 feet in the air, but we can take small, simple steps of faith. So this week, I would encourage you to do that. Whatever that next right step is for you, whatever that small yet important step of faith, that you trust God, knowing that He is who He says He is. He does what He'll say He'll do. And if you're with somebody who's in a hard place, would you grab their arm and say, hey, let's take this step together. Would you just give them encouragement through your support and prayers? as we take steps of faith together. We are a family of God. This is what we do. So let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of time together this morning, reminding us of your faithfulness. You are who you say you are. You do what you say you do. So Lord, may we trust in you for things we cannot see, believing beyond the limits of our own understanding, because you're good. You're righteous, holy, forever true. 
we put our trust in you. Amen. Have a great day.